Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 12. I started to ask how many had read the morning manna this morning, but it might be embarrassing, so I'm not going to ask, but I, I hope you did, because I intentionally made the morning manna this morning actually the introduction to my message this morning, so you are ahead of the game if you happen to read that article. Hebrews chapter number 12, we begin reading in verse number 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain." Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear in our text. For our God is a consuming fire. The very mention of that word fire ought to get our attention. It's been called the most powerful force on earth. As such, it is certainly a fitting, a fitting example or illustration of the greatness of God's power. And every parent, no doubt, has had the experience and knows the importance of telling your children not to play with certain things. You don't run with scissors. You don't play with fire. I, I had to learn that from personal experience when I was a boy. One of my favorite things uh, to do was to go to my great-grandmother's house. I didn't really know her that well, uh, but uh, but she lived in a little town northwest of Springfield, Missouri called Ash Grove, uh, which happens to be the home of Maul Barker. Those of you my age know who Maul Barker was. J. Edgar Hoover said she was the she was the the most worst brilliant criminal mind vicious criminal in in that decade and so she was a bad a bad woman to put it mildly until she was killed by the FBI. Grandma, this was a little town about eight or nine hundred people. It's only about fourteen hundred today. After all of these years, Grandma lived in the on an alley actually just off of Main Street and there was a huge lumber yard. People come from miles to that lumber yard and the sawmill and she lived just uh, oh maybe uh, 100, 150 feet away from the fence, big wooden fence. And in between that area, uh, my dad's uncle raised bird dogs, a huge, huge cage out there, and people come from everywhere to buy his bird dogs. Well, I was out there playing somewhere around the dog pen, and uh, 
I don't remember exactly what I did, but I started a fire. Now, this is right along the fence of the lumber yard, which literally would have burned that town to the ground. I mean, this is serious business. And boy, as soon as somebody heard the word fire, people began coming out of the woodwork everywhere. And uh, thankfully, they got it put out. I didn't burn the town down. But I sure learned a lesson. If you're going to build a fire, don't don't build it next to a lumber yard. Because somebody might get hurt. But children aren't the only ones that, that need warnings. Uh, we all need warnings. We don't like it, but we certainly need warnings. And that's why... I want you to consider this text this morning. In fact, the book of Hebrews is a book of warnings. It's divided up into five major sections, each one extending a warning. The first section gives a warning about disregarding the salvation of God. The second section gives a warning about doubting the sufficiency of God. The third section has to do with a warning about dullness toward the Son of God. The fourth section has to do with despising the Spirit of God. And the last section that we're in here today has to do with disobeying the summons of God. That is, not listening when God speaks, not responding when God commands. And and I want you to focus today, especially on this last part of verse number 29, where it describes God as a consuming fire. That's actually a quote from the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 4. And notice it says that He is... Doesn't say he was. In other words, he's not just looking back at some example of his judgment from the Old Testament and saying, you know, that's what God was, but that's what God is presently right now. God is a consuming fire. Remember, God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, we, uh, we, uh, based on what people say, we know that a lot of people don't know a lot about God, evidently. Some say, actually, that we shouldn't even fear God. Others claim, well, well, yeah, we're to fear God, but it's just to be an attitude of reverence and, and not of dread. Well, I wonder if they feel the same way about fire. You know, it's one thing to have a reverence toward fire. It's another thing to have a dread of the fire actually burning down something. And certainly the Bible teaches very clearly that we're not only to have reverence for the Lord, but we are to dread the very thought of displeasing God. One of our problems today, major problems, is a lack of the fear of God. And you know, it doesn't surprise me about the world in general. The surprising thing is that so many professing Christians fail to have any fear of God. And that's cause for alarm. We don't seem to realize that a great privilege always brings great responsibility. 
And no one is more privileged than the Christian. That's why I started reading where I did as you go back in the earlier part of this chapter and you can see the blessings that we have as Christians. Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, you see. And he tells us that we have a kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be moved. We have all of these blessings and as a result of those blessings, we also incur responsibility. Look back in verse number 22 again, and I want you to notice what he's saying here. He says, but ye are coming to the Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. He, he is not only telling us where we are positionally, but where we are headed as a result of the promises of God and the provisions of God. So based on who we are and what we have in Christ, we ought to understand that we have a great responsibility to respond when God speaks. When Jesus was here on this earth, He clearly described the demands of discipleship. He never had any bargain basement sales. He never said, look, if you'll follow me, I'll, you know, I'll cut some of the demands. In other words, it won't be so difficult. In fact, the Bible says many went back and walked with Him no more. Because he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to forsake everything you've got. You've got to love me more than you love your father and your mother and your brother and your sister or your husband, your wife or anybody else. In other words, it's going to cost you everything. You've got to be willing to do everything I say if you're going to be my disciple. And yet, even with those clear directions, there are those who claim to be a child of God that continued to live as they please. They just assume, well, since I'm saved, you know, I don't really have anything to worry about. But let me tell you, God never intended that we use our eternal security as a license to sin. You've heard a lot of people that disagree with us Baptists whenever we say we believe once saved, always saved. We believe in the security of the believer. We believe that we have eternal life. And if we lose it tomorrow, it wouldn't have been eternal yesterday. We believe what Jesus said, that they shall never perish. We, I mean, that's what the Bible teaches clearly. And anyone that teaches you that you can lose your salvation is just flat dab wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. And yet we are attacked on every hand by major denominations for our belief in eternal security. And some of them will say, well, if I believe what you believe, I just go out here and sin all I want to. Well, we do. We sin more than we want to. That's the problem. Listen, the Lord never intended for us to use the promise of security as a license to sin. Just because you can't lose your salvation doesn't mean you can't suffer great loss. Notice what he says in verse number 28 again. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved... Isn't that great? We have something secure. We are a part of a kingdom that cannot be moved. But notice verse number 29 tells us that we can put ourselves in grave danger for our God is a consuming fire. 
not only put ourselves in grave danger, we might literally put ourselves in the grave. That's the point. When we rebel against God, we force God into action. In other words, we cause God to treat us in ways that He would rather not. That's true of every Christian. Look back at the first part of this chapter in verse 5. He says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth, get this, every son whom he receiveth. In other words, every Christian, because they are imperfect, every Christian is going to be chastised at some point in their life. Notice, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Question mark. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, that is illegitimate, not sons. Now listen to what he says. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits? And get this, and live. That's why I said when we disobey God, when we rebel against God, when we ignore God, we put ourselves in grave danger and maybe in the grave because He's talking about us living as a result of God taking these corrective measures. Verse 11, And no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterward. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, that. listen, that's more than a warning. That gives us great instructions that we desperately need lest we fail to respond to God's command. To be chastened of the Lord, and I've often said, you know, when mom gave me a spanking, it was really not a really big deal except for the fact she said, uh, I'm going to tell your daddy when he gets home. And I knew now it's, now we got a major problem. And, uh, because dad dealt with it in, uh, in a whole different way than mom did. Let me tell you, God's not playing games. And when God chastises us, He does so in a way that is bound to get our attention. Well, somebody says, yeah, but what about those that just continue to rebel? I think John answers that question when he said, there is a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. In other words, when we continue on in our stubborn ways, ignoring God, we disrespect God's Word, we disobey God's will, we dismiss God's warnings, it's almost like we're playing a game. And in doing so, we are risking our very lives. Let me tell you, it's not worth it. The one whose voice... He says, shook heaven and earth will rock your world. 
He can tear apart your playhouse. He can turn your world upside down and you're foolish to think that He can't or He won't because He's going to get your attention one way or another. That's why I emphasize those verses in in, in the first part of the chapter, he said, what son is there that, you know, that isn't chastised? It happens to all of them. God's going to get our attention. Now let's go to the source of this quote. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24 says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, fire even a, get this now, a jealous God, and to see the reason for the warning, you look at the verse before. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. In other words, God has warned them that if you forget the covenant that we entered into, if you resort to worshiping other gods, whether it is a carved image or, or whatever it might be, the result of that is going to be judgment. And again and again, and I, I, I jotted down a whole page of references, Old Testament references, that has to do with this very thing. I'm not going to read them, but... But if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know when God gives a warning, He expects a response. And it's all based on the fact, as He says in Zephaniah 3.8 here, the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. If that doesn't get our attention, I don't know what would. Because God doesn't make any idle threats. He's not playing games. And we shouldn't be playing games with God. He's a jealous God, and He displays His displeasure over our sins. Don't ever think that God's just going to give you a pass. Don't ever think God's just going to ignore your sin. He says, I am a consuming fire. And in spite of all of that, so many times we turn around and do exactly the same thing that Israel did and just as Israel suffered, we will suffer for it also. Some people are just toying with God, as it were. In Malachi chapter number 1, it describes a people that had the same problem as I see in the world today. Whenever, whenever you read that chapter, you read about a people that are still religious, the people that, that still use the name God, the people that, you know, would still respect a lot of the traditions and so forth that have been handed down from generation to generation, but they've reached the point that serving God has become a weariness to them. They're bored to tears with this. And they began to give God the leftovers. Whereas the law required for them to give the very best out of the flock instead of giving the best, the one that might win the blue ribbon, you know, at the county fair, instead of doing that, they thought, well, this sacrifice is just going to die anyway, so I might as well take this one over here. It was attacked by the wolves, and it's probably going to die, so I'll just take it, and I'll offer it up to to the Lord as a sacrifice. He won't care. Both of them's going to be dead anyway. It doesn't make any real difference. In other words, they were treating God like a junk dealer. 
You know, I don't want it, Lord. You can have it. It's no good to me, Lord, so I'll give it to you. And that's exactly the way that most people deal with God. To think that such a privileged people would be so disrespectful of a glorious God is beyond the, is beyond belief. And yet, what do we see in the world today? It's like someone said, we have created a God in our own image. In other words, we try to make God to be what we want Him to be. We don't want to think of God, you know, as being as He's described in the Bible. We want to think of God as being this big hunk of love floating on a cloud somewhere up in the sky. Be A lot of people tell you, well, I, I just don't believe that God is a God of wrath. I don't believe that our God, the God that I know, they might say, I don't believe He's somebody that we need to fear. So what? Just because you believe that, it doesn't make it true. If you want to know what God's like, you need to read the Bible. It makes it very clear. Our God is a consuming fire. Now maybe you're thinking, yeah, but preacher, I, I would never do what those ancient Israelites did. I, I'd, I'd never worship idols and you don't have a totem pole in your backyard. You know, you don't, you don't carry around an idol that you worship or anything. But the fact of the matter is, whatever it is that we put before God, whatever it is that comes between you and God, whatever it is that you spend your time, your money, and your energy on that interferes with you doing the will of God, that becomes an idol to you. It can be anything. It can be a person. It can be a job. It can be a sport. It can be absolutely anything in the world. And listen, we are just as guilty. It's so easy for us here in America to look across the sea and to think about those living in the jungle somewhere dancing around a totem pole and how ungodly and wicked that is. Let me tell you, it's not one bit worse than in our religious America today where people are dancing, as it were, around some false doctrine that, that denies the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no difference. We look at the Muslims and think how awful that is. It's no more awful than the, some of the major denominations here in America today that has perverted the way of salvation. And make people think that salvation is not by grace through faith in Christ alone. That you've got to add this or you've got to add that or you've got to do something else. And so many professing Christians are guilty of that very thing. Now, remember, we're not just talking about professing Christians now. None of that ought to surprise us. I'm talking about those like the people to whom Paul, I believe is the author, that he is writing to here in the book of Hebrews. He's writing to Christians. You say, how do you know that? Well, for one thing, he tells them how to treat their pastor in chapter number 13. And over and over again, he deals with issues related to their, to their local church. So it's obvious that he's speaking to Christians about Christians. And he tells us in the first part of this chapter here, 
that God chastises His people is a result of what? It's not just because God woke up one morning on the wrong side of the bed, it didn't feel good, it's having a bad day, and He said, I think I'll give Kenneth a spanking. It's, you know, it's his turn. He hadn't had one lately, so I'm, to, I'm going to work him over today. Oh, listen, whatever, whatever God does, he always does for a good reason. And there's so many times, and it's so easy if we're not careful for us to let something come between us and our devotion to the Lord. I mentioned a while ago my dad's uncle raising bird dogs and, uh, you say, well, how can anybody get so excited about a bird dog? Well, kind of the same way you do about football, baseball, fishing, hunting, or anything else. It's just something that somebody enjoys. And what happens is so many times we allow sinless things to become sinful because we let those things divert our attention away from what is most important. Somebody said, well, I was going to come to church Sunday, but... I, I was just so tired. I'm exhausted. You don't expect me to come to church when I'm just physically exhausted. Well, yeah, I, bless your heart, I understand. They drug you around on the water skis all day Saturday and just just tuckered you out. You, you see, we it seems like we always got an excuse for why we're not serving God. And whatever it is that comes between us is a false idol. Uh, what, what does God do with those false idols? He burned them up. Let me tell you, when it comes to those things that, that offend God, God's not going to wink at it. He's not going to tolerate it. He's going to remove it. He's going to remove it. Now, I know there's probably somebody here thinking, oh, Lord, I wish He'd get off our back. I wish He'd just leave us alone. Stop pushing us. Stop being so negative. Preacher, just let us enjoy life. Say something that will encourage us. Listen, I'm not trying to make your life more difficult. I'm trying to do just exactly the opposite. I'm trying to save you from difficulty. Believe me whenever I say that when we fail to do God's will, we can expect things to get difficult. Amen. Brother Ron's saying amen for a reason. I've known Brother Ron all of these 30 plus years that I've been here and I know the story and I know what's in his heart and what's in his mind right now and what he's thinking. And it hurts to look back so many times. It hurts, but we thank, we thank God that in some way He brought us to our senses. And I think of David, this man of God. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Here was a man that seemingly was everything, you know, that a person ought to be. And yet that fateful day there on the rooftop, he looks out there and there's that cute little chick and well, you know the story. But that wasn't the end of the story. David let something come between him and God, and it absolutely ruined his health, for one thing. 
read his own testimony. He said, there's a rottenness in my bones. And he just went on and on about the physical suffering that he was going through. But there was more to it than that. You see, our sin always touches somebody else. And David must have thought of that the day that they buried his little baby. You're here today and you think, oh, God would never do something like that. Listen, don't you kid yourself. Everything that happens to you is either appointed by God or allowed by God. There's no accidents, folks. God either lets it happen or God causes it to happen. And whether He lets it happen or whether He causes it to happen, it's not because He hates you, it's because He loves you and He's not going to allow you to sin successfully. He's trying to get your attention that He can help you. David learned the hard way. David's son Absalom, you'll remember the story. Every time I think of the story, I think of old Lester Roloff preaching, and the mule walked on. Oh, Absalom with all of his hair. Oh, boy, he won the hearts of all of the ladies and that big head of hair he had. But in his heart, he was evil, and he had rebelled against his daddy, the king, and tried to overthrow him. But there, there, whenever... He was hanging by the hair of his head in, in, in a tree and the mule walked on and he was, he was murdered right there and died as a result of his rebellion. I think about Samson. Who in the world, who in the world could defeat a champion like Samson? And no one stood a chance against a man like that. But there was a man that brought him down. And it was Samson himself. There's a price to pay whenever we refuse to listen. Notice we said, Refuse not him that speaketh. When God issues a command, when God gives a warning... We need to listen. I'm glad that God's not only all-powerful, but He's all-loving, He's all-wise, and He has a purpose in absolutely everything that happens in our life. Everything He does is out of loving, concern, and listen, and with eternity in view. We don't see the big picture. We don't know the whole story. We're just looking at our life as it is and we're thinking to ourselves, you know, I would be better off if God would just leave me alone. Because what He's doing to me or what He is allowing in my life isn't really of any benefit at all. It's not really any good. And if you believe that, you just haven't read the Bible. Because if you're a child of God out of the will of God, God's going to get your attention. And how? listen, sometimes to help you, God has to hurt you. And He loves you too much to ignore you. You're going to get hurt. It's that just that simple and that serious. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. 
the beginning of wisdom. And then I'll leave you with this thought. It says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's go back to the Israelites just for a moment and think about them. Numbers chapter 23, where here they have rebelled against God and the Lord says to them, be sure your sin will find you out. To say it another way, God could have said, you know, your sin is like a boomerang. You're going to throw it out there and it's going to come right back at you. To put it another way, God could have said there's a payday someday. Because there is. The chickens come home to roost. God's mill grinds slowly, but it does grind into powder. God refuses to let us sin successfully. Whatever you do, if you've let something come between you and what God wants to do in your life, whatever you do, listen to me, don't ignore it. You walk out this door this morning thinking, well, you know, it's not really a big deal. What I'm doing is not terribly wrong. I know it makes me miss some. I know it causes me to not get involved in God's work, but it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's a big deal to God. Notice he expects us, verse 28, to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That, that's what he expects. And if that's not what you're doing, you better stop ignoring it or you better quit trying to hide it. You better not deny it. And you better not excuse it. But I used to go to church all the time. I was a regular. I sang in the choir and I taught Sunday school and I did this and I did that. But that preacher down there run off with the piano player or that deacon down there, he did something. Somebody did something I didn't like. And so, yeah, I know. All you're doing is excusing your sin. There is never a good reason for any of us not doing what God commands us to do. And Solomon said, if we try to hide our sin, if we try to conceal our sin, he said, we will not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh, we'll have mercy. That's the only way to deal with it. Quit trying to hide it. Drag it out into the light and say, here this monster is. And before it destroys me, I'm going to confess it. And I'm, by the grace of God, going to forsake it. I don't know what God might be speaking to you about. But as a Christian, if you can't honestly say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am serving God acceptably and with reverence. If you can't say that, if you're not faithful to God, then you need to do business with God. Go back to what he said earlier about this chastisement. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Instead of getting bitter about it, 
that I just think it's so unfair that God would let this happen to me. No, it's not unfair. You say, well, preacher, what gives you the right to say all of this pain, all of this suffering, all of these problems? What gives you the right to say that, that you know, that it's not unfair? Right here? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. I mean, God could kill us right here on the spot. And He wouldn't owe us any explanation or apology. All we have is by the grace of God. Don't you dare toy with God. It's no game. And your health, your life, your happiness, everything about you is on the line. Our God is a consuming fire. What He was... He still is. Paul said, Behold, listen, I'm through, I promise. Behold both the goodness and the severity of God. Look at both sides of His character, he says. Romans 11. His goodness and His severity. God never ceases to be good. And because God is good, sometimes He is compelled to resort to severe means in order to bring us back where we need to be. And the choice is with us that we can either repent of our sin, confess our sin, we can either do that or we can just ignore it and let God take action. I don't need to tell you what the best thing would be. You already know that, don't you? And if you know that, why wouldn't you do that? Let's all stand. Father in heaven, how we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the greatness of your mercy. Mercy that withholds the judgment that we deserve. And Lord, we thank you for your grace. The greatness of your grace that provides those things that we do not deserve, for the blessings that You pour out upon us, for the wonderful privilege that we have as Your children to be able to have a part in Your kingdom service. And I pray You'll help each and every one of us take serious our responsibility to serve You faithfully. And Lord, I just pray today that You'll speak to our hearts, that You'll remind us not only of our blessings, but also of the responsibilities that we have as a Christian people. And God, help us to do Your will, regardless of whether it's difficult or popular, regardless of whether it's pleasing to the flesh. Help us to, to do Your will and to trust in Your grace. For we pray in Jesus' name, while we stand together and as we sing, if God's speaking to your heart this morning, would you come? If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, please, please do so right now.